0: This morning, our scripture reading is from Galatians 2, 1-14. We're reading from the New International Version. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, "'I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. "'I wanted to be sure I was not running "'and had not been running my race in vain. "'Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, "'was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. "'This matter arose because some false believers "'had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus "'and to make us slaves.' We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised just as peter had been to the circumcised for god who was at work in peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the gentiles james cephas and john who who, those esteemed as pillars gave me and barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Paul opposes Cephas. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? The word of the Lord.
1: So we continue in our sermon series on relationship revolution, and we are following along with a congregation-wide study of emotionally healthy relationships. This is part two of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship series that we are studying, and uh, we're kind of on the home stretch. We have just a couple of weeks left to go uh, through, including this week, three weeks to go. And then we are in the season of Lent with a new series that is going to focus on the trial of Jesus and the various convictions, the heart convictions, of the people uh, who were major characters in and around Jesus' trial. But we continue talking about relationships. And uh, some of you might have listened to this reading from Galatians chapter 2, and you're wondering, what in the world is going on? it's actually paul's testimony of a major disagreement that happened in the early church between really two of the major figures and certainly uh, according to the testimony of history the two highest ranking members of the early church and that would be the apostle peter and the apostle paul we'll get more into that in a second but first I wanted to talk about basic electrical circuits. Now, I realize that uh, there are plenty of engineers in this congregation, so I'm not talking about advanced circuitry. I'm talking about basically that, that second-grade classroom experiment, right? Where it just you've got a power source, and you've got a wire lead to, say, a light bulb, for instance, and then there's a, a, a wire coming back around to the other part of the power source, and you have that full circuit that when the circuit is closed, the light bulb is lit. But when there's a disconnect in that circuit, the light bulb goes off. So it's kind of interesting, I've found, as a layperson in the electronics world... That that oftentimes I think that I'm doing something to like start something when I turn a light bulb on when I turn the switch Do you can you join me in that you know that that sense that that something is like not in existence? And we we say let there be light and we flip the switch and now all of a sudden there's electricity But it turns out that that the electricity is all is there the wiring is there. It's like live, and we actually disconnect it in order to not have the lights on, right? So it works opposite. Same thing happened. I, have, I, I got a drink of water. I filled up my water glass uh, just before this service, and water kind of works the same way. Uh, we don't necessarily—if uh, you had a pump, maybe you're causing water to flow, right, when you go get a drink. But if you go to your faucet, you're really just removing the barrier— to the flow of water, in order to get that drink. So, what I want to do is take this illustration of of a circuit, and that, that to close the circuit is a positive thing, because it makes light happen. Closing the circuit in the loop between our outside life and our inside life. There often, as human beings, is a disconnect a disconnect between our hearts, how we want to live, our values, especially as Christians, and, and what actually happens on the outside of our lives. And the, the idea of light shining is not something that I'm inventing, but really comes as a metaphor from Scripture. Numerous times it, we're, we're, being, uh, we're being encouraged to think of our witness— And in fact, even showing love to other people as being sharing the light, showing the light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Sometimes we, inside, we want to be people who shine the light. But then there are those times when there's a disconnect. And what God has put within us is this circuit that is meant to to flow authentically from, from the heart, from the inside out And for that to be the natural state of existence and so it's not like like we are just we need to somehow do something to bring love in a way because of what the holy spirit is doing in our lives we just need to make sure we don't mess up what god is doing right I know it's a, it's a little, for some of you are saying, okay, this isn't rocket science, Kurt, but for me, it, it actually is really helpful to think that our natural state as believers is that we have the Holy Spirit, and that circuit is meant to be closed. It's meant to connect the inside heart with the outside actions. And it's not, it's really ourselves who get in the way, and we turn the switch off for one reason or another. Maybe it's just, like I mentioned in the children's message, that we're grumpy. We're human beings. Times of grumpiness happen. It could be other reasons as well. Let's let's explore the text as we look into this. The Galatians 2 testimony, we read the first 14 verses, but the, the full testimony of the Apostle Paul and this episode started in chapter 1. Uh, he speaks of his own authority as an apostle, in his own right, and, and he basically is telling the story of a major disagreement and the road to that disagreement that happened in the early church around whether or not—and there, there were numerous uses of the word circumcision in that text—which um, was a practice that marked you as a Jewish believer— and so if you came to faith uh, and wanted to join uh, the Jewish faith, you would have to undergo that procedure, because that was a mark of being Jewish. When the Apostle Paul began to go throughout the known world, um, uh, we know he had that mark. He said he was circumcised on the eighth day in another uh, kind of autobiographical uh, scripture in the New Testament. Um, but he began to share the good news of the gospel with people who were not already Jewish, were not already part of God's family. And there arose, basically, a controversy. Many of you are familiar with this. Some of you, perhaps, are not. That The question came up, does someone have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Jesus was Jewish. Everything's, everything in the New Testament is based on the Old Testament. So that makes sense, right? The question was a really important question for the early church. And what you see, there's a couple of places in the book of Acts that address this. This is Paul's own testimony of this, that the church leaders gathered together in Jerusalem and talked through this. The apostle Paul speaks of, um, this was after 14 years from his conversion. He went to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. And he went in response to a revelation, and he met privately with the leaders in Jerusalem and presented to them his gospel that was saying that it's about your faith in Jesus Christ and not necessarily about having this outward mark of belonging to the covenant community within the Jewish faith. And they came to somewhat of an agreement, we read, that those, uh, that, uh, that James... And Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, these leaders in the church, gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, and they recognized the grace given to them, and they agreed that Paul and Barnabas should go with the gospel to the Gentiles, and they would go to the Jewish believers. Now, when it says Cephas, there's a bit of Bible study you have to bring into this text. Because in the Gospels, there is a, this one of Jesus' disciples who is referred to, first of all, by a name, by a different name. Uh, and his name was Simon. Jesus gave Simon a new name based on his call to Simon that he would be the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. And the Greek word for rock is petros, Peter. So Simon became Peter. And in many places in the New Testament, those two names are used together. Simon, Peter. Well, in Aramaic, the language of the the culture in Palestine at that time, the word rock is Cephas. And so, uh, in the Gospels, we are told that Peter, also known as Cephas, Basically saying, rock, you can think of Dwayne Johnson for this, right? The rock. So so Peter is the rock, whether you call him that in Greek or call him that in Aramaic. Does that make sense? But it can be confusing because you kind of go, okay, what's going on here? I've never heard of Cephas, and Paul's taking on Cephas. What's going on here? When it says Cephas, it's talking about Peter, that Peter, the Peter upon whom the whole church is supposed to be built. This is a pretty major conflict, and yet, really, the the truth of the gospel, and one of the great uh, outcomes of this story, is that something that could have derailed the entire movement right from that moment did not have that effect. Praise God. That's what allows us to all be here as a part of this Christian movement, is that it wasn't derailed when the two main leaders had a major disagreement— Now, in the text, we find that it went further than that because Paul is noticing that Peter is doing something that does not reflect Peter's own stated values. Okay, here's where the the circuit comes in, the disconnect between values and what's on the outside. So, Peter had said... We know this from uh, in the book of Acts, when Peter had this vision. He was with a, a man named Cornelius, and he, he, God gave him a vision that said, said it's basically okay for Gentiles to become believers in Christ without following all the rules of Judaism. Peter knew that. Peter had ex, ex, extended the hand of friendship and fellowship, but when he was around people who who didn't want there to be table fellowship between Gentiles and Jews, he kind of fell under their influence a bit and separated himself from the Gentiles. And Paul basically said, what gives? And, and really, it's, it's in your face, because literally, if you read it in verse 14, it said that Paul got into Peter's face. But it's very much a—it's an exhortation that says, Peter, you're better than this. I know you don't believe this. Do you realize what you're doing isn't reflecting the values I know that you have and the values you've told me? The text doesn't say exactly how that was fully resolved, but what we do have is the testimony of history, that the church was able to go through that time of disagreement in a reconciled way and in a unified way, which is really amazing. Later on in Galatians, in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul goes into the dynamics that may indeed have been at play during this time of disagreement. How can we love others in the midst of disagreement when there are things within us and outside of us that might tempt us into disconnects where we disconnect from loving one another and one of the the, the most challenging times where the disconnect is likely are times of disagreement. When we truly find that we are, that we feel different or think differently than another person. The closer that relationship is to us, the more dangerous it is, because the more we value unity and connection. Think about what it means when you, if you disagree with someone, say you're at a party, say you're at a Super Bowl party, for instance. And, and someone says, uh, like, hey, I want the Rams to win. And the, another person says, hey, I want the Bengals to win. And you've never met that person in your life. You're not sure you're going to ever see them again. Is that a big deal? Probably not. But, but if you're married to that person, it might be a little different, especially if a hometown team is involved, right? Right. Now that's, uh, obviously, we could go into the challenges of disagreement in marriages, uh, which is is a challenge. Same goes with things in the church. One of the the real challenging things of of being together in the church and working on projects together, uh, you know, pitching in, being a part of God's mission, is that we come into times of disagreement with one another think about Peter and Paul. How did they transcend this? How how does Paul take maybe the lessons that he learned and actually put it into words, sharing with us? And he does exactly that in the fifth chapter of Galatians. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a scripture passage in chapter five of Galatians. You can go ahead and grab a Bible, open it up to Galatians chapter five, we're going to talk about—we're going to go into, basically, the, the, the Scripture about the fruit of the Spirit. But we're not going to go in-depth in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about the stuff around it. Like, think about bricks and mortar. We're going to talk about the mortar, not the bricks. Assuming that, hey, we, we understand, many of us understand, what we're talking about with the fruits of the Spirit. Because it's in here. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., But the full story is really about the potential for a disconnect between our interior values and our exterior relationships. This is the key to to acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Which, by the way, in verse 14 was Paul's... That was his his exhortation to Peter. Peter, you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. How can we act in line with the truth of the gospel? We do that by listening to the voice of God within. Now this is, a, is the presence of God within that we have through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. This is given to those who are in Christ. And so you have... Christ's presence within. The Holy Spirit. We listen to the voice of God within. So, in verse 13 of chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul lays it all out there in line with what we've been doing in this sermon series. He brings it back again to love in countless ways, all through the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13. The letter of 1 John, here in Galatians. Love, 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 love. Yes, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, but the Bible never gets tired of it. In a, in a way, it's always St. Valentine's Day in the New Testament. It's about love. For, for, God, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. Love, love, love. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This is at the conclusion of his, his, uh, his teaching on the freedom we have in Christ. But he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, sarks, right? Our human weakness. We talked about that last week. Um, rather, serve one another humbly in love. That's what we're called to. But we're in this, we're in this field of choice now. Paul is bringing up this sense that we actually have the potential to disconnect ourselves from the good work of love that the Holy Spirit is doing within us. And that happens when we use our freedom to indulge the flesh. Paul says in verse 14, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. There it is again. From the Old Testament. Jesus restates it. As the summary of the law. And then here it is in the teaching of the church. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then Paul says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So obviously, there can be times when we, rather than just love one another, we can actually bite and devour each other. Yeah. So... Paul lays down this first point, that love is central. And love is the natural state of us being under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. And if there's a disconnect, that leads to devouring and destroying. Paul then moves into another encouragement to recognize an inner conflict. This is going to be really important to the conclusion or the practice of how we can avoid the disconnect. Recognize the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. Verse 17, Paul writes, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not... so that you are not to do whatever you want. So there's a lot of connection here that Paul is making. First of all, he sets spirit and flesh as competing entities. There are times when God, God's spirit wants us to love, but we in our heart of hearts, our human hearts do not want to love. We want to be the center. We want it to be our own way. We are stuck in just simply wanting to live according to the mantra of, I want what I want. But Paul's saying here is spirit and flesh are in conflict so that you are not to do whatever you want. That would be just using your freedom to indulge the flesh. If we're going to live by the Spirit, we have to recognize this conflict within us. And that leads to a third aspect that Paul brings up in this passage all throughout chapter 5. That we should walk with the Spirit. In another place, later on at the very end of the chapter, Paul speaks of keeping in step with the Spirit. That means to attend to, to value, to listen to the voice of God within us, the Holy Spirit. And to take the time sufficient to truly listen. So that the connection can be made and the loop between our inside values and our outside actions is closed that's how the light of christ shines well how do we go about that paul says walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit He even says about the things that we want, our desires, he says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The Holy Spirit has has changed our hearts, that we want to glorify God above all things. We want to please God. That's where our hearts are. Where do these disconnects come from? In order to avoid those disconnects, we need to do the interior work. Because that's where the disconnect happens. Sometimes we're surprised. We're surprised when, when we do something, or even when we see other people do it. That might be the easiest way to see it, right? The, the first level is when we see it in other people, and then we realize, oh, wait, I do the same thing. But we see that disconnect, and we wonder, how did this happen? They don't really believe that. Wait, that happens to me. I don't really believe that. It happens because the disconnect happens within. We're choosing the flesh and not choosing the Spirit's way. So Pete and Jerry Schizero have developed this, what they call, the ladder of integrity. A list of 12 ascending questions that moves, it's their interior questions about getting clear about who we are on the inside, that move from feelings to values, then to actions. These are spirit steps. These are steps that are meant to be done prayerfully and thoughtfully. These are inside work for outside integrity. Getting clear within us helps us remain connected to others in times of disagreement, disapproval, or high anxiety. And uh, in this lesson, uh, the Skizeros bring up the concept of differentiation from family systems theory. And the theory is basically this, that that if we know who we are, get clear about who we are and what our values are, our relationship with others is not threatened when we do disagree with each other. It's foundational for close relationships like marriages and friendships because those disagreements are going to happen. And yet you also have a covenant of love that you can maintain. Just like there was revealed to be a level of covenant within the New Testament church that transcended disagreement. It didn't all come to a screeching halt. It's the good news of the gospel and the good news for all of our relationships. Climbing this ladder of integrity is a personal process of getting clear within so that we can relate to others in a healthy way. And you can imply it to your marriage. You can apply it to parenting, apply it to, to relationships at work, and apply it in relationships at church. So I encourage you, some of you are actually attending the class, you have that ladder of integrity uh, image, and you can follow that. Uh, for those of you who are not taking the class, I'm sure if you Google it, you might be able to see it. And uh, But it really is just a tool to remind us That as Christians, if there is going to be a disconnect, it's because it happens on the inside and we're not taking the sufficient time to spend with the spirit on the inside of our lives. So, spirit work within prayer, discernment, is... heart work. It is relationship work. It is what will help us live a life of love. And in the circuit of inside-outside integrity, we can reconnect the disconnect at its source by attending to the voice within, God's Holy Spirit. We do the interior work of connecting to the source, the Holy Spirit, And then the outside expression of the fruit of the Spirit will follow, enabling us to serve one another in love in each and every season. Amen.